welcome back to Acting Out. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Tyler. And today we are going to be discussing the importance of our registered behavior technicians. We previously discussed the RBT ethics code in our ethics code, but we wanted to take it further than that and talk about how vitally important registered behavior technicians and board certified assistant behavior analysts are to the field of applied behavior analysis. We also want to recognize the work of people who are doing ABA and following the instructions and treatment recommendations of a BCBA, but aren't RBTs or BCABAs because that certification may not be available to them in their location. This is a really important topic to me, and I think for most people who have been an RBT, this would be um, an important topic to them, and we can kind of go into that, but before we do that, Tyler, I want to know, you're a current RBT, so why is this something that matters to you? Why is this something that you suggested that we had um, an episode for? Personally, I feel like RBTs, they're taken advantage of, and they need to know, like, what are things they should look out for when they're looking for a job or um, it's an important topic. I've seen a lot of RBTs uh, quit their jobs because they've been overworked, burnout. Um, they don't know how to approach their BCBAs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you you do have to know your worth, I think, in any position. Um, I also think one of the things that you can kind of talk about within this episode, one of the things I hope that we're able to get to is just the power dynamic between a BCBA um, and an RBT, and that power dynamic can go, I think, can go in a lot of ways. It can be, um, you know, just the different level of certifications, but it can also be at an age difference. Um, sometimes, one thing that I've noticed a lot, and this might just be true in our area, it may not be as prevalent in others, but a lot of times what's happening is that, like, we're hiring very young um, college students or graduate students or people who um, are just a year or two out of high school and we're giving them these really big um, important jobs and so some of the things that I've noticed is they don't always have the ability um, or the life experience to know how to advocate for themselves and how to know like when things are on the up and up and how to know when things aren't Um, or they might also be in a position where you may not like what's going on in some way. Um, One of the reasons that this topic is important to me is because I know what it's like to be not just an RBT who's doing um, ABA, but also what it's like to be in the education system and trying to do ABA. I don't have a teaching degree, but when I was, um, I think I was 22 or 23, and I moved out of state to live with my husband who was at that time my boyfriend but that doesn't even matter whenever I moved down there I lived um and I found a job doing what I was told was ABA at a school for autism and we had an absolutely phenomenal um BCBA who actually wrote my letter of recommendation for graduate school like she's a wonderful woman and she does a really good job but she was only the school would only let her come in once a month and She taught me to take data to the very best of her ability, and she taught me to do some other things. Um, But I was working in this classroom with severely impacted children who had autism and cerebral palsy in a very limited capacity, or not in a very limited capacity, but the, um, the supports I was given were very limited, while their, the severity of their diagnoses was very high. 
And I just remember feeling very overwhelmed and very taken advantage of for the majority of that employment experience. Um, Like, I didn't have bathroom breaks. I didn't have anybody to help me, like, change this person who was in a wheelchair. I had kids eloping out of the room all the time. And the BCBA would come and tell me what to do. And then my director would tell me not to do it because the BCBA didn't know what she was talking about. Um, So there's that experience. And then there's just the general experience of being an RBT, going through supervision. Um, For me, I was the first person in my family to go to graduate school and I didn't know what to look for or what to ask for. Um, I didn't know that I had choices. And so well, I think I would still go through the supervision experience that I had because it made me the behavior analyst that I am and it made me the person that I am and there was bad and good experiences there. I wish that I had known all of the ways that I could advocate for myself and that's something that I'm hoping that we can try to do today is just take some of these issues that are so widely discussed and then maybe provide some opportunities and some insight that we didn't have or I didn't have or you figured out while we were going through that experience. Yeah, I think that's a great idea is to come to terms and like, we can't fix this like me and you. We can't fix these problems. However, we can give our listeners some ideas on what to do. Um, So where would you like to start? Well, what I'd like to do is kind of talk about what's happening um, online in a lot of ways, you know, sometimes you only know the BCBAs and the RBTs that you know. And so I know what I've gone through as a BCBA who was an RBT, who was um, someone who was trying to do ABA, but wasn't an RBT. I know a lot of what you've gone through. I know what our friends have gone through, but I also think it's more important to talk about some of the issues that are being discussed on other forums, like on Reddit and on Facebook and on things like that, because those, um, those are people who clearly don't have others to reach out to and so they're reaching out to the community and I kind of want to bring that up. So some of the um, things that we're going to talk about are just the big issues that I've noticed people are um, people are requesting assistance for. One of the biggest things and this is actually something that you and I have both discussed as that we have felt not the whole time that we've been in different positions but sometimes part of that time is um, underappreciation. So I wanted to define that, what underappreciation is, because it it's, can be super broad. So based off of what I saw and then also what we've both talked about experiencing, underappreciation can be defined as like minimal appreciation for the work completed. Um, it's been a while since I've been an RBT, but Tyler... Why don't you give me, if you feel like it, you could give me an example of a time that you felt underappreciated. And it doesn't have to be a time from a long time ago. If you felt underappreciated lately, that's okay. That's We're open to that. Um, we're open to that, I don't know, feedback. Because if you're not open to feedback, you might as well not do the job. Underappreciation for work. This would probably have to be when I first started as an RBT, um, going into working in a center. Uh, there's a lot of things that you do, like materials prep or um, data input and being a fresh RBT, fresh out of Pearson View with that certification. Um, 
all you know is what you've learned from shadowing and what you've learned from your 40 hour course. Um, now me by no means is an art. I'm not an artist. I'm not like, I don't make material. I've never made materials before in my life before being an RBT. Um, but like had a kid, you know, a whole bunch of new goals opened, needed a whole bunch of materials, spent the whole night, you know, making these materials, um, going to work the next day and they were all trash according to, you know, a supervisor. And, uh, yeah, just like the whole, all of my time was not appreciated. They didn't say thank you. They didn't do anything like that. Um, so that would be the one time, um, that I felt unappreciated. Um, my other jobs that I've had as an RBT, um, I mean, I'll just be honest. I didn't stick around long enough because I didn't like the company. Um, currently, uh, <laughs> I am very appreciative. <laughs> I'm very appreciated at uh, where I'm at now. Um, like nothing goes without uh, a supervisor saying thank you or a great job or something like that. Like even that a great job is, you know, I'll take that. But personally, if you really want it, like the key to my heart is a cup of coffee from Starbucks. But yeah, I, I remember that. I am aware. Um, okay, so let's just kind of take that example and apply it to like some of the things that we're seeing online. So underappreciation being like you put in this effort and this effort might not be what was expected, but the effort was still there and not receiving any kind of positive feedback for that effort seems to be one of the ways that um, you felt the most unappreciated. That's actually something that I think is super common, um, not just in ABA, but I think as just employers in general and as employees in general, we feel very un unappreciated. Um, and sometimes I think, I think we forget as behavior analysts who are working with other people that we can use ABA with our, with our staff in a way that is it detrimental to their mental health? So all of that being said, like, for me, it is not enough um, to not, I don't, saying that I'm not in trouble, it isn't enough to make me want to work for you, particularly was when I was an RBT going through supervision. Like, I would, praise has always been something that I really like. I don't know why. It's just, maybe it's just something that was paired really early with me, but getting praise is something that is important to me and saying to someone like, well, if you didn't get in trouble, if they didn't say anything to you at all, that is your praise. Well, that's not praise. That's the absence of a punishment, but that's not praise. That's not a reinforcer. Um, so Tyler, you're also saying that like in that situation for you, you would have appreciated getting some praise. You would appreciate some acknowledge for the work that you put in. That's correct. Yeah. Like that would make sense because you put in time, you put in effort um, I think that's something that we have to remember, as I was saying before, as BCBAs or as, you know, people who are in any type of management, because being a behavior analyst over RBTs is management. We don't always talk about that. We don't always like acknowledge it, but it is management. And in some situations, depending on your company's hierarchy, it's middle management, which is not my personal favorite, but it is just sometimes the way that it is. And so... I think being open and being positive brings a lot of po brings a lot of good points back. Um, okay, so 
Another thing that I think we have to think about is like praise as a reinforcer does not pay the bills. Because some places are really good at telling you like how great of a job you've done and how you're super helpful and how you're super um, positive and you're doing everything you're supposed to do. And you're like, thank you so much. But they might not recognize that providing you praise is wonderful and like absolutely necessary. But it also saying thank you 16 times a day is not going to help me if I'm making twelve fifty an hour. I completely like that, that doesn't do anything for that. No, I completely agree. And then this goes into a section that I I like. This is one thing as being an RBT is like twelve fifty an hour. Like that's not what is that gonna do? Yeah, like um, especially like if you're part time. Like some RBTs, they're not even full time, and they're being a part time employee, you don't get health insurance and. I mean, if your parents don't have a health insurance and you're under 26, 12 an hour is not going to pay for a doctor's bill, you know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I think the bigger issue here is that we have to pay people what they're worth and we have to pay people um, appropriately for the amount of effort that they're putting in. Because when, you know, you're talking about working with people who have severe aggression, severe elopement behaviors, you're doing all those things, you're probably having to do more complex um, interventions, you're doing all of those things. Well, that requires a lot of time and a lot of effort, not just on the BCBA's part, but also on your part. And it also requires a lot of physical labor. Sometimes I don't think that we recognize that being an RBT is is a is a very intellectual job but it's also a very physically demanding job sitting on the floor with a toddler is still physically demanding um it's also physically demanding if you're an rbt working with a 16 year old and you guys are working on physically blocking some social skills and physically blocking some some different things i think that's one of the bigger points here that we have to consider is that we have to pay people for what they're worth, not just for what's going to put more money in our pockets. Because if we're going to talk about the financial aspect of this, we also, and we're going to talk about pay, we also have to talk about a couple things. We have to talk about how caregiving, which is in some ways what RB, being an RBT is, you're teaching a skill and in, you're doing all of that. And it is not just babysitting at all, but it is caregiving, particularly whether when you're working with um, one-on-one with a very small child or an older adult or any of those, anyone who falls in that category, it's caregiving. And in our society, we don't value caregiving the right way as a society. We don't value people who um, who are doing the day-to-day labor that makes our society and our ability to take care of each other work. And whenever you have it live in a society that doesn't value that, you also don't value um, that seeps into your employers and that it seeps into your company culture. And then you're not paying them for the amount of work for for the correct number of hours. So it's like, well, they just do potty training all day. What what does that matter? Well, there that does matter that changes people's lives and having independence in the bathroom is a very big deal. And 
when you don't pay people for that and you don't value that, you're telling them that what they're doing isn't important, but what they're doing is actually the most important because that is how society works. I agree with that. And then thought process. (laughs) Even, okay. So even if they can't find, um, a high paying RBT job, there are definitely perks that they can look for, like paid time off, um, incentives, things of that nature. Um, mental health days. That is something that I wish I had as an RBT when I first started is a mental health day because also like flexibility in your schedule when necessary. Like that's important. I think, um, um, Oh no. The other thing I was going to say was we have to talk about in this job when it comes to the pay and you were talking about pay and benefits and perks there, you can make a lot of money if you want to, play an unethical game and not take care of people like you as an individual as one person who is a company or as trying to figure out how to say this in a way that isn't inflammatory you can take advantage of people in this job because of the amount of money that you can make for insurance you could bill $60 an hour or however much for an RBT and pay them $12.50 an hour have minimal overhead costs and pocket all of that money and there are people who do it because I've seen it and my friends have seen it and strangers that I know on the internet have seen it people do that that is not going to get us where we need to be at the as a field whenever we don't value caregiving positions we don't value RBTs we take their we take money that they've earned and I, I'm not suggesting that you can pay everyone. Overhead costs are real. You have to pay yourself. You have to pay for this, that, and the other. You can't always pay someone everything that you're able to bill for insurance. And I respect that. But whenever you change you whenever you put a change that is so large in between those things, you're devaluing the work and then you're also pocketing the extra money. And that doesn't last forever. Insurance companies know about that. Other people know about that. And when you start doing and taking that unethical road of not properly taking care of your employees, it can lead you to a place where no one wants to work for you. No insurance companies don't want to pay you and ultimately can be more damaging to our field. You know, is this some slight shade here, Elizabeth? (laughs) It's not shade for anyone that I have personally interacted with, it's just ongoing shade for this ongoing conversation that we have. I just get really freaking frustrated whenever I see people who don't have work their asses off and they don't have money to buy food. I had a friend who I was in undergrad or not undergrad in my graduate school experience with. And at that time they weren't getting paid for any of their quote-unquote indirect work. Well, setting up and breaking down after a client is indirect work. So you're only getting paid for three hours a session, but you're required to be there for eight hours. Well, when you're only getting paid for three hours a session, she she literally could not afford to eat. Her grandmother was buying her food and bringing it to her and driving three hours on the weekend so that she could eat during the week. And my friend was calling me and being like, hey, do you have $25? Because I don't have the gas in my car to get to work. And I I didn't have money either. So I was borrowing money from my grandfather to pay so that my friend could go to work. And you know that the places where they're working are making 
bank and big money, big money off of the backs of RBTs. And I'm not okay with that. I don't think anybody should be okay with that. And it's very frustrating. Right. So maybe I am talking a little bit of shade, but it's never meant to be disrespectful. It's just meant to say we need to learn from the experiences that we had and also the experiences that we've observed. Like if you don't know better, you can't do better. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Don't just don't take advantage of people. And you would think that that wouldn't be a complicated concept, but apparently it is. Well, Tyler, talking about like the financial aspect of this job also leads into something that impacts it, which would be evaluations. And with your evaluations, you are judged um, on the work that you do and not just on the work that you do, but also on like your ability to perform in comparison, I think, to others um, who've been doing the job for as long as you have or maybe longer. Every evaluation at every place is different. So I think one of the things that I've experienced, and not just being um, an RBT or being a BCBA, but just having experienced as an employee in various different jobs, some within and without ABA, would be um, whenever a lack of skills can be claimed as incompetence, and it's not always incompetence, sometimes it's a lack of training. Um, So just to define that, a lack of skills for this purpose could be defined as you know, being identified as not having the critical thinking or executive functioning skills to the job. Um, and then whereas lack of training would be defined as not having the proper training necessary to complete the job tasks that you've been given. So what for you would be the biggest difference? Um, not You don't necessarily have to give an example, but for you, like, what's the biggest difference in, like, not doing something because you don't, because you're quote-unquote incompetent meaning that you don't have the skill set for it and not having the training for it like what would be the difference for you incompetence is to me is like you're unable to do it like you're not physically able to do it or um, intellectually able to do it Um, now personally I believe everybody is competent to do something whether it's a job or um, especially a skill as an RBT like you can be fresh out of high school and you can do this job. You just have to be trained properly. Um, incompetence is, you know, I don't like that word. Um, I, it's been used with me for evaluations. Um, for example, how can you call me incompetent to take data? And I've only been an RBT for a month. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's a lack so, of training on the BCBA's part or the company's part because you didn't train me properly on how you take data for this client. Um, that would make sense. It's not I think it's not incompetence at all. Okay. So really the biggest difference is like incompetence would be like being we would count incompetence as being unable to perform the skill because you don't have the physical or intellectual ability to complete the task. And really, if you're telling someone that they don't have critical thinking skills or that they don't have executive functioning skills, that's what you're telling them. You're telling them that they're intellectually incapable of completing the task that they have been given. But you can't be capable of completing a task that you've been given if you haven't trained someone on it. And you can't just call shadowing and taking notes training. That wouldn't work in any other field and that doesn't work in ours you can't if you don't have some kind of system like behavioral skills training you can't 
systematically say, hey, you should be at this benchmark by this point of time if it's just super willy-nilly and all over the place and you don't know like where you're training depends on the trainer's mood, not on the training outline that's set up. I think that can be something that we could as a field do better. I know that that's something that at different points in my career I could have done better and my career inside and outside of ABA. I could have done better and I could have done more when it came to training people. I could have been proactive and been like, okay, before I train these people on Tuesday, I'm going to have this, 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 and this set out. Because ultimately, you're setting people up for failure and then not only are you harming your RBTs or your employees, you're honestly harming yourself and your own company because then you're going to have a bunch of frustrated angry, disappointed new employees who are mad that they have quit their old job to come work for you and you're telling them that they're incompetent and they're like, no, you're just not training me because I can't learn if you're not training. So I think if I were to give any advice to myself two years ago or give any advice to myself in the future, particularly now that I do actually have RBTs, It's be proactive instead of being reactive because reactivity or not reactivity per se, but reacting to the thing isn't, it's, it's significantly less efficient. I completely agree with that. Um, If it, like, if it was me two years ago um, and they told me that I probably would have just walked out. (laughs) Because it's also a sign of disrespect, like calling somebody incompetent. It's it's a sign of disrespect to me. Like, I would have just walked out. Well, Tyler, with talking about, like, being incompetent or being someone who's been labeled, not that you have been labeled, but having had, like, your decisions judged, your critical thinking judged, your executive functioning judged, evaluated, and all of those things, I think we have to determine if there is a difference between being told that you are incompetent versus being you are not competent in such and such skill. What what are your thoughts on that? There is a difference. So um, based on the RBT uh, guidelines, you have to be competent in data collection. You have to be uh, competent in, I haven't looked at an RBT competency exam nine months um but yes but you do you have to be competent in all of the things that are listed and it's what i want to know is if you're not competent in those if saying like okay you're competent in x y and z but you're not competent in b c and d if you're not competent in those things getting additional training is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I think right. where we get these things confused is whenever you're being targeted for who you are as a person instead of being targeted, not targeted for who you are as a person, but you're being evaluated on whether or not someone likes your personality versus whether or not they like the work that you do. And they're not being their self-reflection back on the BCBA or on the whoever the management person is. Um on whether or not they're judging, they're, I keep saying judging because sometimes that's what evaluations feel like, whether they're evaluating your work based on your work or they're evaluating your work based on the fact that like 
they don't like you because sometimes you work with people and you work closely with them and you don't like them and that is just the reality of being an adult in a work workforce when you say that okay so i'm just gonna plug this in my dad always taught me you don't go to work to make friends you go to work to make money and to help people like for us for example i don't go to work to make friends if i so happen to make friends great i've made great friends being an rbt i've made some enemies being an rbt but i'm not when I go to, you know, one two three, Jane Doe Avenue, f- to see a client. One two three Jane Doe Avenue. <laughs> I mean, I'm not there to make friends. Which honestly, I would make friends anyway because that would create a dual relationship. And I'm the only person. Yes, Tyler. <laughs> I'm the only person there anyway, unless the supervisor shows up for supervision. Even then. I mean, I may ask my supervisor, hey, how's your day? But that's it. And then we just go on about our business. Yeah. Like, I've worked with BCBAs that I don't like. I've worked with BCBAs that I love. Um, Hello. Uh, you better love me. That's really what this is about. Like, uh-huh. I just need to know that you loved me. Did you love me, Tyler? Was I awesome? And our next topic is... <laughs> No, You're I supposed love... to lie to me. I love you, Elizabeth. Just lie. Except no, okay, it's so... fine. <laughs> Elizabeth and you I. You can I give have... an example of a time you don't love me. Like that's okay. Elizabeth and I have worked in the together in the past. This was pre me being a candidate for the BCBA exam, and she would just ask me these questions, and I was like, you know, um, what questions? Extinction. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, what is extinction Tyler when does it when do you use it um, I didn't do your research so I don't have those answers for you at this moment I mean (laughs) well I'm sorry I mean I obviously know what extinction is but we're going way off tangent here um now I've lost my train of thought yeah because I'm a bad beast to BA and you didn't love working with me I'm I mean I'm insulted okay that's where I was bad BCBAs um, <laughs> a sign of a bad BCBA is if you go out to a work lunch or whatever with them and they start talking about other RBTs or clients or whatever, that's a bad supervisor. That's a bad company. You need to pack your bags, put your two weeks in, and go. Well, that is one thing that, um, that is one thing that we do have to talk about. A little bit more in this podcast of you know when it's time to leave and what are the red signs um but before we do that I did just want to wrap up a little bit more about the evaluations because I think that goes back into um you know lack of skills being claimed as incompetence versus lack of training um incompetence the definition of that being you know you incompetent as a person or you just not having competence in certain skills Um, The next thing I think that also goes into is taking that and talking about fair evaluations. Um, Evaluations are hard. I've given evaluations. I've been evaluated. I've been on both sides of that coin. It's not a coin I really enjoy. Um, By the way, audience, she did evaluate me as a supervisee and um, I passed. So just so you know. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. Um, That's, listen... I I really tried. <laughs> um, okay, moving past that, when I was your supervisor, 
But in all seriousness, like moving past that, I think one of the one of the things that we have to make sure that we're doing um, that RBTs are aware of, and then one of the things that we have to make sure we are being aware of as BCBAs or as business owners or as people who are doing the evaluating is making sure that our evaluations are fair and that they're also um, transparent. I have worked, and this is not me talking about, you know, my experience as a BCBA or as an RBT. This is just talking about my experience with evaluations. I've worked at places where um, you get evaluated, but it's, you're evaluated not on your job, but you're evaluated on maybe the next step. So Tyler, that would be like me evaluating you with the skill set of a BCBA even though you are currently an RBT. Well, you haven't passed your exam yet and you haven't truly completed, um, even though you're doing a lot, you haven't completed the exams for, um, you have to evaluate people on what they're actually doing, not on what they're going to be doing. Also, when you do evaluations, you have to consider if you're being evaluated on something that you are truly allowed to succeed at. I've worked at places that have said no one, no one in this position should get a hundred on their evaluation because an art because let's say for example an RBT should never get a three on a critical thinking score because they're an RBT. Well, if they can never get the three on the critical thinking score, then they shouldn't be evaluated on it. You can't, you shouldn't evaluate people on things that they cannot, on unattainable goals. It creates dissatisfaction. It's honestly bad work practice. And I don't know if it's against the art, against an ethical code that we have as behavior analysts or as RBTs, but I can say, I don't think it's moral and I don't think it's ethical and I don't think it's right. It's against employment law. There you go. It's against employment law. So those things exist and those those kind of companies exist there that's just one of the biggest things that if I were going to share with anyone that's something that I have <laughs> I have worked in jobs where I've evaluated people on their work and been told that my evaluation and my opinion on their work was wrong because it didn't match someone who wasn't their supervisor. But the reason that it didn't match and the reason that, in my opinion, they didn't want people to get higher um, higher levels of evaluations was because it was pay, it, because it tied into their pay and they didn't want to pay people more. So if you don't want to pay someone more, you, you do an unethical evaluation you do an immoral evaluation, you tie it up, put it in a big pretty bow, say, if you do so well on this, you're going to get X, Y, and Z benefit, and then they, that benefit is constantly unattainable because the bench can never be matched because you're grading them on something that they can't actually succeed at. Right, and this this goes into something that I've always been taught um, by one of my BCBAs is that you would not set a goal for your client that's not achievable, right? Right. Don't do that with your employees. Yeah. And don't do Sorry. that with yourself either. Like, because whenever you, as an RBT, as a BCBA, don't set unattainable goals for yourself and unattainable timelines. That's just the best advice I got. But again, that's one of the things that you have to look out for. Um, and you should be able to ask, and that is, again, why we should all be able to ask people what their evaluations are, what their evaluation score was, and how much they're getting paid. 
Um, I do have a question about your evaluations. Okay. So you said an RBT should not be evaluated on being a BCBA, right? Even if you're a candidate. Right. So how, um, so if the company has uh, a lot of candidates for the BCBA exam and the director comes up with like this evaluation before they can sit for the exam, they have to meet all this criteria. Do you consider that a fair evaluation? Well, I don't think your company should get to decide when you get to sit for the exam. You should get to decide when you sit for the exam. It's not your company's job to determine you, the course of your career. It's your job. And I quite frankly don't give a rat's rear end if they paid for it or if they didn't make you pay them to do your supervi- to do your supervision. When you take that exam is solely up to you. And if you don't want to take it for three years, don't take it for three years. If they don't like it, you can leave. Cool. I just wanted to know. I, you know, that's my opinion. And honestly, I think it's the right one. So what's your next question? Uh, it just pisses me off. Like, I, you can't see my super, my producers in the background, if, whoever is listening, but they, one is laughing and one is raising their hands because it just makes me so angry that we think that we have the right to control what other people do just because we pay them money. We don't. Um, personally, when it comes to evaluations, I, like... I don't like to know when I'm being evaluated because then it goes into like reactivity, you know, there's that word there. Yeah, that's um, like if I know I'm being evaluated, it's going to spike my nerves, spike my anxiety, then I'm going to mess up and then something's going to happen. Um, so per- I don't like it either. So personally, like I just had an evaluation, which I didn't even know it was happening. Um, I get a text in a session and it's just like, call me when you're done. Um, okay, so. You know. That's your favorite. You love it when we interrupt you. That that it's the worst. Um, <laughs> um, and I go to my car. Okay, but tell me what happened. I, I, How would you like us to do it? You know, I, I honestly I don't know. See, I have to do that because I don't necessarily know what your schedule is. So if I need you for something, I will text you. Call me when you're done. That makes more sense. All right, guys. So we've talked about evaluations, um, fair evaluations. And then finally, you know, all of this goes back to getting paid for your work. Um, One of the things that I want to make sure that we, when we have these kinds of difficult, complex, multifaceted uh, discussions on our podcast, we want to make sure that we are being fair in understanding that there are times when you can't get paid a rate that is outside the realm of reimbursement, but there, in my opinion, should be room to grow, even if it's 50 cents, even if it's a dollar, even if it's, hey, um, you know, you're getting more PTO this because you did X, Y, and Z, or you're not getting PTO because it's not something that we offer. However, you can have this many days of flexibility and you can take these off whenever you would like, just give me a 48 hour notice, something like that. Um, not every company does PTO and that's not actually always a bad thing because that means you're flex. That means you own your own time. It's not owned by someone else. So those are all things that we, you know, want to consider. Um, all of this goes again into, we should be able to talk to each other. We should be able to have conversations with each other. I understand that there are parts of, 
insurance or there might be policies where you're not able to talk about certain specific reimbursement rates or you're not able to talk about X, Y, and Z. And I'm not going to pretend like I understand all of the complexities of that because I don't. But what I do understand is that we need to get paid is that RBTs are vital to this field and our field frankly won't survive without them because we need them in order to be able to reach the number of people who need our services. And in my opinion, that with some of the issues that I'm seeing online, with some of the issues that people that I know have experienced, I think we should consider, and this could be for an, a completely different episode, but I do think we should consider, you know, supporting RBTs and unionizing if that's something that they feel like that they need to do. Um, that's something that I certainly would have done whenever I was a RBT. Um, I didn't have, not just as an RBT, but as, you know, a young woman who was starting a career, a young woman who was fresh out of high, uh, fresh out of college, you know, going into various different fields that I worked in before I got an ABA, I would have appreciated feeling like I had someone to talk to about what was going on and someone to have my back that wasn't, um, that didn't benefit from not paying me more money. And that is something that I think we need to have a discussion about in our field is letting people unionize so that they can get the rights that they deserve and the pay that they deserve and the treatment and the respect that they deserve. So that is my Ted talk or Elizabeth talk, I guess, for that opinion. Uh, my dad's name is Ted, so I can't really call it a Ted talk because my name's, you know, so it's an Elizabeth talk. Um, Tyler, you have mentioned that you had some advice for people who are brand new RBTs or people who are interested in being an RBT or just people who are, you know, brand new to ABA in any way. So give us your advice. What do you think? Advice from your neighborhood RBT. Yes. Number one, uh, know your limits. Like for real, for real, y'all. Um, like if your kid's having a behavioral episode and like it's too much, no one to tap out. Like, um, like if it's a BCBA or another RBT that can come in and, you know, even if you have to step aside and let them deal with like the response blocking or whatever, and you take data, do it because it's a stressful field. Like I'm just saying, know your worth. Don't be afraid to tap out. That's one thing I did learn um, very quickly, very, very quickly. Learn to tap out. Um, yes. You may not always be in a position where you can tap out, but if you have the position, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, because, you know, nobody likes to get hit or spit on or, you know, whatever the behavior may be. So, um, number two, find your niche. Um, so personally, I've worked in center and home. There may be other, you know, uh, locations where you can work. Um, I'm not a, not a fan of center-based. Um, but, you know, make you a pros and cons list. Um, like personally, I don't find any pros in the center. Um, I find a few, so I con. can, I can, if you, if you want, I can list a few. Yes. Please list your pros of center based. Okay. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed in working in clinic was that I had, I felt like I got my hours more quickly. Um, my, because the, you know how you have to have um, a certain number of your hours for the exam, su super like direct supervision. I felt like Correct. I got those hours more quickly. Um, 
I, there was a, you know, when you're working with aggressive behaviors, or even if you're working with more complex behaviors, there's someone who, for me, I, there was always someone there who was helpful. You know, I might not have always agreed with the advice that was given, but the advice was there and the assistance was there and that's a benefit. Um, I also think that really it can be a big benefit for families and clients because some families um, don't have the availability in their schedule to do in-home. They just don't. Like mom and dad both have to work full-time 40 hours. And if you can, and they're not able to get a sitter, doing a clinic is always a good thing for that. Um, I think there's a lot, a lot more benefits, but that's also, there's a lot of good that comes from clinics. There can be a lot of challenges that come from clinics but there can be a lot of good that comes from clinics and it's the same way with working in home I can list a I can give you a list of cons for in home if you'd like me to after this uh well thank you that brings me into my next point when you have your (laughs) pros and cons for home uh personally uh like you have a flexible schedule when you work in home um like I don't work a typical nine to five like it's not me uh, I get to sleep in late if I want to, like, as long as my schedule permits, which I usually can plan that a week ahead. Um, that's how we, so I'm always planning for sleep um, because, you know, the BCBA exam takes a lot of that away from me. Um, and then cons, you have a lot more risk, like going into homes, that's, um, but that also brings it uh, into another topic, good supervisors versus bad supervisors, you know, if your supervisor's on top of their game, they're going to do that risk assessment. You know, like, is it safe for you to go into the home? You know, they'll do all of that. Um, uh, number three, know your worth. Um, so if you're an experienced RBT, 1250, you know, don't don't even apply to the company, you know. Um, maybe if you're fresh out of Pearson, that might be okay. Um and don't just don't let companies lowball you for your wage um, because you do you deal with a lot of stress. You have a lot of things that you have to worry about or you have to do as an RBT. Um, those new RBTs fresh out of Pearson, uh, you have a certain set of skills, right, um, that you're competent enough to take the exam. But there are certain things that um, a company may want you to do, but you're not trained to do. Um, don't do it like, you know. I'm never saying quit a job on the spot. Like, I've quit jobs on the spot, but just, you know. Well, I think it's a little bit different quitting jobs on the spot whenever you're working in retail versus when you're working with tiny human beings. Correct. I think there's a little bit more that goes into it than, you know, you're not... You That is one thing that we want to make sure that we are being aware of when we have this discussion is if you feel like you need to leave a job... If you can leave with a notice, you should. Right. Um, A, because if you're a BCBA, there is an ethical, that is part of your ethics code. Um, Also, it's just part of being a decent person. But in addition to that, um, you don't want someone else to miss services if you can avoid it because you and your supervisor or you and the company have a disagreement. So if you're able to give it, if I'm going to advocate for, if you're able to give a notice, give a notice because you don't have to do it for the company if you have issues with a company, but you should do it for the person if you can. Right. Um, so put that in the back of your mind, you know, um, you can make your resignation letter and then you can start looking. And then when you're ready, you can 
put that resignation in, and then you can slither away like a little snake. Um, I feel like see. maybe you've done some slithering in your time, but okay. Oh, I have done some slithering twice. <laughs> Are you a Slytherin? I'm not. I'm a Gryffindor. I had to make the joke. Keep going. I'm listening to you. This is good. This is helpful. I wish um, someone had told me this stuff. Number four, never feel like a burden to your BCBA because, uh, hint, hint, that's their job. Um, they are supposed to be there for you. Like, like they're not supposed to throw you out to the wolves. Um, so. I keep, yeah. I think you also, though, have to understand that, like, as BCBAs, we also have to have boundaries, though. So I think it comes, you know, that to me says, like, have the boundary of, like, I'm not responding to you if you text me at midnight. That that doesn't make you a burden, but that does mean that, like, that's my boundary. Does that make sense to you, Tyler? Like, no, having yeah. the boundaries? So when I say never feel like a burden, it's, like, asking for help. Um, okay, like cool. Pers- I just wanted to clarify that. If you're an RBT working at 12 o'clock at night on a case... They better be paying you very well. Just saying. Well, you might be in a group home because think crazier things have happened. You never know. Um, anyway, keep going. Let's see. Supervisor, supervision. If you can get paid for supervision, do it. You know. I actually like how you brought that up. Are you talking about when you're a supervision, meaning supervision for the exam? The exam? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay, I mean, that makes that makes sense. As an as an RBT, you're like you have to be supervised so many hours um, a month, just for uh, ethical reasons and whatnot. Um, but like supervision as like to sit for the exam, if you can get paid for those supervision hours, do it. Um, it helps a lot. It's a little bit more money in your pocket, um, and then it's almost like an incentive to like, hey, the more I do. The more I get paid, the quicker I get my hours. But you only get like, I think it's 130 hours per month for supervision. Um, and then training, just make sure, you know, you get that training, the 40 hour course that you're required to take. You only get so much from it. Um, always take notes. Um, but yeah, these are just my uh, experiences and little pieces of advice as an RBT. Uh, personally, it, it does get harder if you are going to sit for the exam. I asked, like, I wanted to be pushed as an RBT because I want to be, like, the best of the best or the best of my ability. Um, But, yeah. So, that's it for me. I think those are a lot of really good points. Um, I'm excited to see you grow, honestly. Like, from being an RBT to being a BCBA and, like, going through your first year and having your first parent training and... Like all of, and your first treatment plan and, you know, the first time that you get to make the decision and the choice is solely on you. That's such an exciting time. So technically, okay, so I have written a treatment plan and the decisions are on me with the approval of my BCBA. Um, Right. But but you're saying with the approval of the BCBA, you haven't gotten to the point yet where it's just you, babe. Like it's just you and your assessment and your little brain and, you know. I think long as I work That's exciting. For, I think as long as I work for this company that I'm at now, I don't think I'll ever be by myself, like flying solo. Because You're not by yourself. I mean but the, my wings will be it does get I can fly wherever I want to, but like there are gonna be people under my wings that are gonna like, you know, help me a little bit. 
Yeah, but you get to a point where you don't necessarily want the help. Oh, no. Like, you get to a point where you're like, I got this. Like, I'm good. I got it. Okay, we had a conversation the other day, Elizabeth, at Starbucks while you were drinking your PSL with one cube of ice. And we talked about how good Echo is. I'm over... Do you know... Echo is great. Yes. Do you know how good Echo is? Do you want to... I would never want to... Yes, I know. (laughs) I do not want to leave Echo, like, at all. Like, but... but I'm going Baby to, bird, you gotta be pushed from the nest at some point. And she's, like, gonna, and she's gonna be right there I'm to not help me when I fall. <laughs> she's gonna be, like... Okay. Listen, I don't know if you guys know, but Tyler is extremely devoted to his supervisor. He thinks that she is the most brilliant woman that has ever lived. And he loves her. He didn't love me and my supervision, apparently, but he loves Echo, and he loves Echoes. So one day we will have Echo on the podcast so that you all can meet her. How wonderful she is! She is brilliant, and we love her. We love her dearly. I've had great BCBAs, and I've had mm-hmm. just not me. It was a joke. <laughs> can you not take a joke, Elizabeth? No, I can take the joke. It's just, it's really funny because every time I make the comment, like your face gets ashen, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And I'm like, "This is way too much eat. This is too no. easy and too much fun." But Echo's been my primary supervisor through, like, supervision and um, whatnot. So, praises to Echo. Like she, she is. She pushes me to my limits, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful that you have this beautiful, I, and I truly mean this. Like, I think it's wonderful that you have such a good, valuable, positive experience with your supervisors and that you know that that's going to last whether or not you stay or if you go, or if you ride into the wind. I think that's really wonderful. And I hope that, you know, we can all replicate that in our own lives. So, very good, Tyler. Is there any other big points you want to bring up? Is there anything, any other questions? Is there anything else that we could talk about that we didn't know that we wanted to know? I can't think so. Those are the only points that I could think of as, like, advice from one RBT to another RBT um, or a BCBA candidate to another BCBA candidate. So. Well, good. I'm really proud of you. I think this is going to be awesome. I'm excited to see you transition from an RBT to a supervisor. That's going to be fun. I mean, technically, I don't want to supervise an RBT, um, but I know it's going to come down, like, a year or two down the road after certification, so. Tyler, I don't know how to help you, dude. Like, just take the compliment and let's go. I know. Like, I've always been told, like, once you become a BCBA and you're able to start supervising and whatnot, do it. Like, pass it. What is it? Pay it forward, which I'm totally down for. But I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, trust me. Well, here's the thing. You're not in a position where you have to do anything you're not comfortable with. You are fortunate in that at this point, you are in a position to where your wants and desires for your career are respected. So let's just go from there. You know, if you, if you, I'm the opposite. Like I'm dying to take on more RBTs. We're getting to that point. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. I've got a couple RBTs now. That's progress. That's, that's getting where we want to go. So let's, you know, just take it as it comes, dude. You're going to be fine. We'll see. You're smart. You're brilliant. You're going to do good things. Oh, thank and you. if you don't, Echo will pick you up and carry you forth on her wings. No, you know what she told me? Like, she told me that she's, <laughs> she says she's not doing another competency assessment for me 
after October, she's not doing another one. Well, maybe that's because you need to get pushed. I don't know, dude. All yeah. right. Thank you guys for listening to Acting Out. This is Tyler's Career Advice Corner. Um, From your neighborhood, RBT. <laughs> and on next week's episode, we'll talk about self-deprecation and accepting compliments. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Tyler, I know that you're getting extremely close to your exam. And I know that we talk about, on our podcast, we talk about mental health being important. So I need you to tell me something that you're doing for your mental health during this very stressful time. And you better not say, I'm not doing anything, because that's not good enough, and that's the wrong answer. You Uh, need to take care of yourself. Binge watching. So. What are you binge watching? Uh, Recently, it was Squid Games, or Squid Game, um on my block and then this is an old show that i used to watch with my dad to do seven so just oh yeah i'm glad you're watching something that you guys watch together that's good that's awesome i recently watched Um, the titanic too but you know we won't talk about rose and her behavior she's out of her mind there's enough room on that i just can't okay i'm just gonna say this briefly very briefly. At no point am I drowning and Christopher is in water. Christopher is my husband and he's in water. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm going to sing a song and not scoot over. Like, I'd be like, get up here. Cause if we're going to die, we're going to die together. I'm not going to let you drown or freeze to death. But I just think it talks, has a lot to do with her kind of being a little bit of an overprivileged brat, but that's an unpopular opinion. So anyway, Elizabeth, what are you doing for your mental health these days? <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm in therapy. We've talked about that. Um, I'm honest about that on purpose. I did find out, um, that the specific technique that I don't want to get into, because I don't want to get into like why I have to go to therapy and all that stuff, but, um, is evidence-based and I have specifically done my own, I hate saying my own research, but I've looked into the technique that we're using and I'm like, okay, this is actually... This is evidence-based. It's peer-reviewed. I feel good. Um, And when I'm not being responsible for my mental health, I have um, started re-watching Game of Thrones. And I have been... Really what's happening is I have Game of Thrones over here on the left, and then I have my paperwork in front of me. And I've already seen it, so I can, like, imagine it in my head. So I'm really just listening to Game of Thrones while I work on other things. And... um, I forgot how messed up it was. Okay, just when it's you, good, but when, it's just when messed. You're, ugh. When you're updating those treatment plans, just don't call your kid Khaleesi instead of their actual name. <laughs> I won't be calling anyone Khaleesi because she's not my favorite character. So Jesse's look giving me a horrified look. Khaleesi's not my favorite character. If you've seen the end of Game of Thrones, you'll understand why. I'm not going to ruin that for you. So that's why she's my favorite. <laughs> what? That's not her fault. That was poor writing. It was not her fault, and it was poor writing, but I kind of, I kind of think, I kind I don't know, man. I, Jesse, what are you doing to survive? What's going on in your, in your world? How are you? Um, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> Sounds good. Zach, what are you up to these days? Nothing. 
All right, guys. This is it making... runs in the family. <laughs> yeah. Zach and Jesse are siblings, and clearly they just work to death all the time, 24-7, 365. So you guys enjoy that. I'm just not doing anything new. Uh, every every episode you say, what are you doing for your mental health? And, like, I've given the same answer every time. You know what? You could lie to us. I'm just reading new books after new books. <laughs> Fine. You know what? You guys are not, after this episode, I'm not asking you guys anymore. All right. Well, I don't know oh. how much of this is going to be left in. He's putting your behavior on extinction because he's no longer giving you the reinforcement that you are seeking. Booyah. <sighs> Tyler. By the way, Hazel agrees. That's, that's not Hazel. Oh, that's, that's Sky. Sky agrees. <laughs> that is Sky. Sky. I was calling Tyler earlier, and Sky is acting out, which is actually kind of perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Acting Out, where our dogs bark in the background. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. You can like and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to this.